everyone, this is the VC chat room and me, Olga Panasiva. And today I'm happy to host a new guest, Ravi Bilani. Hi, Ravi. Thank you for being today with us. Hi, Olga. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. So a short introduction uh, and like some more things about you and about what you're doing, we will uh, you know, like discuss later during the course of our conversation. But in short, Ravi is the managing director of the Alchemist Accelerator, which is based in San Francisco. And also the new location is opening soon. We'll talk about it later. So what is Alchemist Accelerator? This is the uh, like one of the world's uh, leading seed accelerators, which is backed by top tier investors like Cisco, DFJ, Hustle Ventures, Salesforce, and uh, many others. And uh, before coming to Alchemist, you have been um, working for like six years as the part of DFJ's Mandela Park uh, Global Headquarters, where you led investments and served on the boards of the uh, first institutional investor in companies, Justin TV, uh, which, which was acquired by Amazon for more than, uh, for, for like around $1 billion. Uh, sounds super cute. Uh, and uh, you're also the uh, lecturer in uh, Stanford University, where I was happy to visit actually one lecture last year. <laughs> so uh, talking about the acceleration program, in May, uh, this May actually, the Alchemists have uh, held its first fully digital demo day. So how was the acceleration structured in this new normality, new reality? Uh, like maybe you can share some highlights. How did you adapt? Yeah, we were, so the program is six months and it's become, we've adopted it to be fully digital or virtual. Um, and I know that, uh, I don't know if we want to, um, if we're trying not to steal the thunder about the, the announcement of the new office, but whenever you want to talk about that, I can, because basically we're, we're putting more of a focus internationally now too. Um, but the program, it's been fascinating. So the demo day is one of the events and it's sort of at the end of the program where we are presenting. Usually we do that in a room of 400 investors and it's all this um, uh, a really sort of exclusive um, event here in Silicon Valley. This was the first time that we actually did that all digitally and it turned out to do, be really good. And in fact, it was more, it was liked more by the investors and more like by, by the founders, which was very surprising to us. Um, partly, I think that's because the investors liked the ability to be able to choose which companies they got to see. And so they had more control and the founders, it was far less stressful. So normally I think if you're a founder and you're fundraising, fundraising can be very stressful. You have to worry about looking perfect when you're presenting. And now we just had the founders record their four minute presentations digitally and it was all distributed online. And, you know, the founders on average, I think had around 24 meetings that they got um, after the virtual demo day, which is aligned with what we typically have. Um, uh, and so the performance was fairly similar and even fundraising is actually better. You know, w when COVID did not exist, the expectation is that you have to drive physically to see the VC and, and the investor is, um, a little bit insulted if you don't, and it's sort of good to go and meet with everybody, but it can be exhausting as the founder when it comes to fundraising. Um, and so the, whereas um, if you now, because it's all virtual and over Zoom, it's, um, it's expected that you just have to do it um, virtually and it's a lot easier to cram a ton of meetings in. So you can have, you can, you can have, you know, 20 meetings and just do that all over Zoom and it's much easier. I also think it's more meritocratic. So um, on Zoom, everybody's the same height on Zoom. 
Um, everybody can hear everything equally. So if you feel like the, um, you know, people make superficial judgments about you or certain things like that, it's more meritocratic to fundraise over Zoom. That's a very interesting point. And how do you feel like the uh, investors uh, mood while like, uh, you know, like looking at the companies via Zoom, are they open? Uh, so some of the investors are seeing these companies, I mean, the founders personally, probably at the first time they didn't met them before or there is uh, sometimes no like history of the relationship are they open for you know uh, making a decision in such a way because we don't know when it don't continues actually it's a very good question and it does depend i don't think there's one um, actual response um, but i do think in general people have found themselves to be surprised at how more open they were than they expected to be so the um I think it's harder to fundraise a little bit now because so the existing, many of the existing funds are reserving more capital to protect their existing investments. So the amount of capital is less the, the amount that's available for founders, but the markets are still doing well. Like the public stock markets are not doing badly. And so the, the, the investors also are feeling some urgency to invest versus just wait. If the markets were not, you know, even though I know it's choppy, they are still performing. So, um, so the investors do feel some pressure to be investing. So we are seeing investors uh, still make investments. Um, we're getting different feedback from different funds on whether or not they will make investments fully based on Zoom. Some funds will do the first few meetings on Zoom, but they want to meet physically in a socially distanced way before they um, do the full check. Others will do the full check, but those others also, I think, are placing a bias towards founders that they either know from they, they knew before or that are well referenced and from people that they knew before. Um, but as this becomes more the new normal, I'm finding investors actually very much enjoy and find them that they're, they're they are able to make investments um, and they're more merit based. Like I think if you have what, what what's needed, they are um, moving forward and making investments. Great. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. And let's talk about the big news. Uh, you were operating for seven years in San Francisco only, uh, and now you're launching the new program, which will be in Europe, actually, closer to, you know, like, rest of the world, let's <laughs> put it like that, closer to where I'm based now. And uh, the headquarter of uh, Alchemist Europe will be in Munich, in Germany. Uh, and as I understand, it also, you know, like, designed to be fully remote if quarantine will not over. So people basically should not travel to San Francisco or to Munich to be a part of Alchemist for this half of the year. Uh, can you tell a little bit more like why Munich? Why did you decide to you know, like, uh, spread your activity to other continents? Yes, so we have had a European program to date. We have funded over 25 European startups. Our program to date was just that we brought everybody to San Francisco and um, we think that there is a huge need that's not being addressed to connect in the top European found. We know there's a lot of accelerators in Europe, um, but we did our own research and our own discovery work. And we'd still think that the, the top founders are not being served by the a program of distinction that they deserve. So we think that the caliber of the talent in Europe and extended Europe, you, I think Ukraine sort of sits between all these different worlds, which is really terrific, um, is phenomenal. And we are seeing, you know, these amazing companies coming out of founders out of Europe. And we just don't feel like there is a platform that is serving them, especially the enterprise founders, as distinctly as, as is needed. 
and that there is this need to create a bridge between Europe and the startup hubs that, that can be Silicon Valley where we're out of or uh, um, another hub. So the program, the way it operates, by the way, is, is that you, when you get admitted, it's one committee that's making the decision. So you're getting admitted to all of Alchemist and you actually have the right. So we still have space in San Francisco and Mountain View. It's just that if you come here, you can't use it. So there's no point in coming. It'll be the exact same as just doing things from wherever you're out of. Um, so we're, the program right now is fully virtual. Um, and we do have also, our team is in Munich. The reason why, and so right now it's the same, it's one program, but the, for the European founders, we have additional events, resources, and mentors and teams just to serve our European founders. So they get access to everything plus more. Um, and we chose Munich because we, we are an enterprise-focused program. So we don't do consumer startups. All of our, our, we think that the enterprise is sexy. We think that the enterprise is really interesting. And so that's our full focus. So um, in Europe, Munich actually is really the heartland if you're interested in getting customers or um, doing deep industrial innovation or tech. Munich is actually better than Silicon Valley in many ways. And, it's, and within Europe, um, it's also, we think, the, the spot where there is, um, uh, uh, there, there's, there's drivers of real value for founders that need to build out in the enterprise space. In the enterprise space, your customers and your partners are really what's critical. And um, that knowledge in, is, is more available in, um, in Munich. So we're starting in Munich. And um, Siemens, um, through Next47, has been the anchor LP. And so we're very excited about that. So that's the big news. Yeah. But you don't have to, you don't have to move to Munich. You can operate anywhere out of Europe. Um, and, um, and we don't force you to, to, to move over. Yeah, that's a great news and I think the perfect timing. Once the uh, borders are open, hopefully soon, <laughs> uh, you have already good contacts and uh, companies that are, you know, like interested in uh, like looking thoroughly at the companies which are serrated in, in, in Alchemist. And uh, let's talk a little bit more about this geographical thing. Uh, which differences do you see between American founders and European ones, or maybe like in entrepreneurial culture? Is there any? Yes, there are differences. Um, uh, so I think that the, I think the Americans tend to be, um, um, I think they each have virtues. So the Americans tend to be more aggressive on, on selling and on visions. So they will put forth big, bold visions, even if they don't have the product built yet and they'll make more aggressive claims. And I think that's partly because the culture of Europe, or at least the tech venture culture in the US has historically had a very strong bias towards thinking about how big something can get. So the whole focus is show me that this, how big this can get versus what can go wrong, what, what might um, be mistake, mistakes. And so the entrepreneurs that get born out of that ecosystem have explicitly or implicitly been trained to paint big visions and, and say things uh, and go after things more aggressively. The European founders, and this, these are all generalizations. There is no one monolithic group. Everybody's different as, as you know, but, um, but the, the European founders will tend to be more conscientious. Um, they tend to want to have things proven and built before they'll make claims about what they're doing. And I do think that there is um, just a lot of cultural cues that you get in Europe around um, uh, not being overly aggressive on what you're claiming you can do. And I think even certain cultures within Europe discourage somebody wanting to be an outlier or um, aggressively chasing something that's very, very big. 
And then Europe itself is not monolithic. There's different regions that are good at different things. So Northern European, you know, I think there's, it's, 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 it's not a coincidence that a lot of the big utility um, startups, the companies that are doing more utility utilities for the internet, like Skype, um, which came out of Estonia or even Spotify have, have come from um, the, uh, the, the, the Scandinavian countries and then also um, the Baltic countries. I, I just think there's a culture and ethos there around creating beautiful products that are egalitarian and, and that are useful for everybody. And they've solved those, that those things better than I think Americans have. Um, and then also um, there's so many amazing founders across all of Europe and Ukraine, like the, the engineering talent in Ukraine is amazing. Um, and so we do see some very creative companies coming out of Ukraine that we haven't seen anywhere else. So um, it's very hard to generalize because these are continents and every within the continents, you know, Europe is a peninsula of peninsulas. Every little area is, 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 is different. So, um, uh, so the, the, but those are some broad thoughts. Yeah, but that's fantastic because, uh, for example, like having uh, the synergy between two continents can bring even more to the founders and the teams uh, itself because of the uh, strong themes in each culture. So that can be something which will benefit uh, at the end to the company as well. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. There's a lot of synergy. There's, a, there's it's more than just one plus one. One plus one is more than two here because mm-hmm. I think with with um, the Europeans think differently than, than what the Silicon Valley mindset is. And so I think there is just new models and innovations that we don't see in Silicon Valley. The Silicon Valley has historically been built where over half of our unicorns have been founded by companies that were first um, were, were um, immigrants into the United States or first generation Americans. And there's a reason why it's because people who leave their countries and go somewhere else, they have a resilience and they also look at the world where they don't take everything literally. They know there's different ways of doing things. And then the U.S. has the market, so it's just so much easier to scale in the U.S., yeah. unfortunately, or fortunately. Um, and so I think that's a and, – and the, and the capital is still – there's terrific capital in Europe, but there's just a, a, a multiple more in the U.S. Yeah, this is uh, the typical model for, for example, for companies uh, out of Ukraine and like broader from the Eastern Europe to uh, focus uh, on the American market from the day one. Because yeah. it's yeah, as you said, it's big and so on. So uh, the application deadline uh, for uh, for for acceleration acceleration program is July fourth, if I'm not mistaken. So those who are listening to us, they actually can apply. If they're like you know, cool companies. So can you tell us a little bit more? Uh, which company? What are you looking in for for in the team and in the in the founder and uh, also sector wise? Maybe something has changed with this outbreak thing. Uh, what is like super hot for you now? Well, and I should say that the applications occur every four to six weeks. So if you, so, so July 4th is the next one for the program that starts in August. The program after that will start in November and we'll be starting to do interviews again in um, August, I think for the November class. So you can always apply. So just, uh, just check the site. Um, and then in terms of what we look for, the first thing that we're looking for is the teams. So um, we are, we, look for distinctive, we're looking at also that you have to have a technical co-founder and we're looking at the background of the technical co-founder. And then we're also looking at the other team members. Um, And we are fundamentally people driven. So it's okay if you have no traction, it's even okay if you don't know what you want to do. We will first be looking at the teams and we're looking for evidences of distinction from the teams that can be if you built an amazing product in the past, or if you worked at a reputable organization or if you graduated even from a, a top tier institution 
um, whatever you can to evidence distinction that you have proven the ability to break out in, in the areas, um, that is the most important thing that we are looking for. Um, we, in terms of markets, we are looking for markets that are going to warrant the interest of the top venture funds. And so we do think that the best companies are things that I couldn't even, are markets that I wouldn't even be able to conceive of. Um, and so I do want to encourage founders to just do whatever they think they really want to, um, to do. But the, um, but the, 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 the COVID crisis has benefited certain markets. Um, and I think if that aligns with what you're interested in already, that's a good thing. So if there are, I think what's hot right now is um, there's tons of stuff around collaboration. There's a ton of new collaboration models that are emerging and our collaboration companies are growing forward to 20 X just based on the demand that's happening. Um, there's lots of stuff around thinking about reimagining the supply chain given COVID and reimagining also just the last mile distribution given COVID. Digital health is also pretty fascinating and interesting. Um, Cloud-based innovation models are also getting a ton of interest. And so, and we have, and there's things all over. The, we have a company called Frontier Bio, which is in our current company, which is doing artificial human tissue manufacturing, so they can produce organs in the lab. That's also benefiting from COVID because you can suddenly test. You can do FDA trials a lot quicker without needing to have humans go through the trials. You can actually mimic those with artificial human tissues. So it's across the board. And, and so I would say that, but then I'd also say, this is a great time to focus on an area that's getting ignored because people are in a crisis mode. So when the markets turn, what happens is that everybody's optimizing for cash. And so all the um, big companies cut their discretionary spend. This period will last around, you know, between six to 33 months. And I think most people are thinking it's by 20 to 24 months. But once the markets change, then everybody's going to be focusing on growth um, instead of profit. And they'll have, they'll have a vacuum of innovation. And that's when they will acquire companies that, they, that were building things that they should have. So it's also a great time to focus on something that's a hard problem that might take like two years to really get solved. Um, because when the markets come back, it'll be really well valued. So I also encourage you just to do whatever you love. Thanks for these uh, advices. I hope it will be helpful for, for, for those who are listening to us and watching us on YouTube. Uh, do you see valuations of companies really down with this new reality? I see valuations correcting by around 20 to 33%. So generally they're going down by that, that, that range. Um, um, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, the, you, you can also probably raise less cash and still do a six as, as well because your burn rate is also probably going down because um, the, the expectations for compensation for salaries are, are lower too. But yeah, I think valuations have been adjusted down by around 20 to 33%. That's typically what we're seeing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so let's talk about the other side, about uh, the venture capital investors. Um, what I wanted to ask is, uh, like, how do you see fundraising for venture capitalists uh, affected by the outbreak? Uh, is it harder to, to raise uh, from LPs or maybe from some categories of limited partners is more or less, you know, like the same or even better in this situation because they understand the necessity of tech? Like, what are your feelings or, or observations in this situation? I think this is, it's, it's all um, this uh, chain so that even you, just as the startups are seeing that it's like a little bit harder, it's, it's harder to raise and the valuations are going down. That still also um, goes upstream to the investors who are raising themselves. Um, there, I think that there's less liquidity. So there's, so most of the funds 
have less cash to deploy to the new funds, and most of them are um, are, are are reserving cash for their existing um, uh, commitments. So I think it is a little bit harder. Um, I think uh, fundraising. So for people who don't know, raising money for your startup is hard because you have to get like one to three investors to raise for from you. Raising for a fund is a multiple harder because you, you, get, you usually need to get 10 investors to close a fund. So most investors yeah. don't want to own more than 10% of a fund and they need to get, they want to see others involved. And so you need to herd a bunch of cats to get things to close. So just these uh, small effects have even a more profound uh, um, um, effect on the fundraising. So I do think fundraising, it's going to be harder to launch, especially a first time fund in the, in the, mm -hmm. in the new environment for a, a period of time. Yeah, good luck to those who is raising. <laughs> yeah. um, and my next question is a little bit, uh, well, like, not personal, but uh, like something close to that. So uh, you're a lecturer in uh, Stanford mm -hmm. and uh, I'm a lecturer myself as well. I was doing it like for 10 years and so on. Uh, so like, do you see, which like drive which category of people drives you more is it students or is it entrepreneurs oh <laughs> that is a good question the two overlap of course but i would um uh i would say it's entrepreneurs if i have to choose um and, and this is really not a fair question olga this is a very <laughs> tough question because <laughs> As you know, I, the easy answer is to say they're both great in different ways, and that is the truth. Um, yeah. But I do think that when you're an entrepreneur, you've, you, you, you've jumped outside of your boat and you've thrown yourself into the river. Like you've, you, have, you, have, you have put your life really on, uh, uh, um, you're, you're putting your, your life and your family and everything at risk for a cause that you care about or a company that you want to see succeed. And there is something just very galvanizing and um, um, honorable about that, that draws me where I just can't help but want to support somebody who's really put their whole lives into it. Academia and Stanford especially is a beautiful place, but it's a comfort, it's, it's a safe place. It's a place for you to explore and do things that you wouldn't otherwise do. Um, but it's precisely because of that, that I, if I had to choose, I'd probably give more em um, empathy towards the entrepreneur. Um, but I love my students. And, and frankly, right now, the thing about Stanford is, is that the students are also entrepreneurial. They're, they're all committing to things that are amazing that I would, I went to Stanford as an undergraduate that I would never have imagined doing when I was there. So, but I think yeah. the real thing happens when you, when you put yourself, um, when you put yourself on the line, when you, when you throw yourself into a situation. Yeah. We won't tell to, to the students. It's yeah. Yeah. The secret. <laughs> yeah. But I, I agree that the, yeah. there is a huge overlap. You're right. It's, it's Stanford anyway. Yeah. Um, We're coming to an end. And my next question, and probably I think it's the last one. Can you recommend a book to those who are watching us, which was, you know, like something that uh, inspired you recently? It shouldn't be like about startups or investors, but it can be like one. Well, let me, let me, let me first give a resource also for just because we're talking about the students. If you guys do want the Stanford stuff, go to ecorner.stanford.edu. So we put all the guest lectures up online and you can check out everything from Stanford. So there's no exclusivity. Everybody can get access to the Stanford stuff. It's um, just eCorner and you should Google that. The book that I would plug it, huh? You'll uh, post sorry, the link. Interrupted. Yeah, we will post the link under this video on YouTube. Okay, so that's, that's the Entrepreneurial Thought Leader Seminar, which I'm um, a, a part of. 
Um, uh, uh, and then the book I would recommend is The Alchemist, which is the namesake for our accelerator. And that's, it's, it's a mythical fable. So it's not about startups. It's not about venture capital, but it's um, um, a fable about the power of following what you were meant to do with your life and um, listening to your calling and how powerful that can be. It's not a long book. So if you're overwhelmed, I think it's a good, easy read um, by um, Paolo Cola. So it's a, it's, a, it's a fantastic author. And um, I think it's really reigniting to you about the power that you have that you may have forgotten. Thank you for sharing. And Accelerator was named uh, by this book because like- That is the namesake of, effectively of the Accelerator is the book. Um, is the book Super. The Alchemist. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, that's a news for me as well. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, thank you for sharing. And uh, okay, I decided one last question. Yes. Uh, will there be some, uh, what's one, one takeaway from this whole situation with shelter in place, with the outbreak that you, you know, like um, understood or, you know, like you were uh, thinking about it and you would like to take it to your uh, rest of the life. Well, at least at the routine during the uh, um, end of the shelter in place and quarantine, like one thing that you will take from this situation. Well, I think it was how you chose to react to this and that I saw this could actually be a very empowering thing if you use it as a constraint to be creative around. And if you, you can deepen your creativity, it can actually be very helpful. Um, and I do think that there was a lot of learnings. So every time I go through something that's a crisis, I try to you know, think about what, 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 what am I supposed to learn in this? What, what is this here to, 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 to deepen or teach? And I think if you approached it in that way, there's actually a lot of innovation. Innovation rarely happens without a constraint. So it doesn't happen if I'm just like, oh, think crazily, think about like a thousand different ideas. It'll be very difficult for you to innovate. Whereas if I said, you know, here's three hard constraints you can. And so I think we did see that with the, I think the big lesson for the earth was to return back to basics, like to return back to being self-sufficient and not depending upon networks um, because these were, because COVID was making all these networks now closed. And so we had to go back to just planting food and uh, thinking about supply chain and things like that. Um, and then I think even for, you know, for us, it was around even coming up with these new models around these, uh, these virtual interactions that to, proved to be more effective and we would never have done them if we did them physically. And so I think that the, I would say the big lesson from this whole experience is going back to what it fundamentally means to be human that, you know, I think this is, I think this is sort of the universe's way of, of smacking you and saying, Hey, if you're getting used to getting your food delivered, you know, getting all of your restaurant food coming to you and being depending upon these grocery stores and all that, go back to being a farmer and growing stuff. And I think, I think that's a very, it's a very healthy lesson to just go back to the basics. Yeah. So. Fantastic. Thank you for sharing. Um, I really enjoyed this conversation and I would like to continue, but we are running out of time. Uh, thank you, Ravi, for being today here. Thank so you, Olga. This is great. Yeah, so this was the VC chat room, uh, which is powered by me, Olga Panasiva, and my soulmate, Olga Stolerchu. And we had our guest, Ravi Bilani, the managing director of the Alchemist Accelerator. And uh, you will be able to watch this video on the YouTube channel, and I'm encouraging you to subscribe. Thank you, Ravi, and have a very good day ahead. Bye -bye. Thank you, Olga. Bye, everybody.